Welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. And have we got a subject today, uh, Miss Linda Clark, uh, who is well known in uh, throughout the state of North Carolina and beyond as an extraordinary actor uh, of long standing. Linda, welcome. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me. I believe I believe the first time that we worked together was um, if, with Night and Day. Uh, the Tom that's Stopper correct. Play. The Tom Stopper play. Yeah. Uh, Mark Filianchi and I were trying to remember. You know when that was? It was how a long, long ago. It was that a was, long time and we, ago. I still don't know. Well, we've been in this building for fourteen years, so I know it was more it was than fourteen that. years ago. Yeah, well yeah. before that. And um, and Filiacci is in the Cherry Orchard with you. Um, yes, as is Steve Jones, who yes. was in that production. We, as well. Yes, we had a reunion. We all recognized each other right away. And um, <laughs> that's great. That's so fantastic. It, uh, it is. It's beautiful to see old friends. You know, yeah. come back around on stage with you. Well, Linda, uh, I want to start out because so many people know your work, but I think very few of them know you. So I'd love to hear just a little bit about where you're from. Tell us a little bit about how you got started acting and, and, okay. and what your trajectory has been. <laughs> well, you know, as most people, I fell into it. I've always loved acting and I've uh, been doing it as a hobby on the side most of my life. My first show was Goldilocks and Three Bears and I was Goldilocks. You were Goldilocks. And I took it very seriously. Sure, sure. Yeah. As one would. Um, yeah. Well, it was mostly about the costuming that had to be according to my standards. But anyway, um, so that's how I got into it. And I was allowed to do theater and was a you know great hobby in my little small town in Bartow, Florida, which is central Florida. Central about Florida. an hour south of Orlando. Okay. Um, heart of Florida. So, but I was thinking that I was going to be a lawyer or that's really what my father thought that uh-huh. I was going to be so right. that's what we were doing right. um, and I was allowed to be in theater as long as I kept my grades up but I was more and more interested then I was accepted to Wake Forest in the law Very good. and the day before the classes started I was going around campus to make make sure I could find my way and saw their theater building and thought oh I just want to walk in and you know see what they got And I walked in and someone said, can we help you find something or someone? And I said, oh, I just want to take a look around. And someone started giving me a tour and then someone else added on and then someone else added on. And and it turns out that they had lost a person that was supposed to come and be part of the costume department. And there was a stipend and there was money attached. And if they didn't fill that position, they weren't going to get the money. I see. Yeah. And somehow they just like talked me. I mean, I don't. I still don't really remember. <laughs> you were eight, 18, 17? Um, no, I was. It was grad school, so oh, grad I was okay. twenty-one. Okay. And um, had a degree in English literature from University of South Florida, yeah. um, and was young married, married my high school sweetheart. So I went home and made a phone call, and I called my parents, and I said, "I got good news and bad news. Which <laughs> do you want to hear?" You know, and the bad news was I had withdrawn from law school and had joined the theater grad school company yeah. and that but you know I had a little job and they were going to pay me a stipend and and my father did not take it well and yeah. he is no longer with us but I think he has, he forgave me before the end of the time yeah. and my mother simply asked me if anyone had given me anything to eat or drink while I was in the theater uh-huh. 
That's very important. I think she thought I was drugged. Yeah, yeah, sure. So anyway, I mean, they just, somehow they did the paperwork. They just made it happen. Yeah. And I just changed horses in the middle of the string and showed up at the theater the next day well, and the, started figuring it out. Necessity is the mother of invention, and uh, we, we live by that principle in the in the theater world, don't we? Uh, and it just has yeah. been a wild ride ever since, yeah. you know. And the first, uh, was that, uh, other other than Goldilocks, was that the first time Oh, you no, performed? I had done community theater you the had. whole time. Okay. I had done an original play called Blue Gate for Hester, in which I played a young Amish woman. Mm -hmm. That was like my big, you know, first real starring lead. But I had played Laurie in Oklahoma and, you know, Music Man and okay. all the usual fare. Started out in musical theater as right. most young people do. Right. You know, and so it wasn't until I got to Wake Forest into graduate school <clears throat> that I started doing straight shows. Okay, okay. And then that kind of yeah. led. And then I was in Winston-Salem, so then I met Fred Gorlick. Uh-huh. And then we did, and then that led to us starting a theater company called Theater Alliance. And then when he transported to Raleigh, so did I. You followed Fred. He needed me for a role. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had been hired to direct Bye Bye Birdie. Uh -huh. And their lead actress from New York dropped out. So he called me and said, come live in my extra room and play this role for me. Yeah. And that's how I met Martin Thompson. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so then we got married, and then we started a theater company, yes. and then we divorced. And, you know, that's how I'll let somebody else tell that story. Well, I've, I remember seeing some of that work, but what was the name of the company? Solomon Isaacs Limited. Solomon Isaacs, that's right, yeah. Because our first show was Noel Coward's Private Lives, right. in which the married couple makes an agreement not to argue by saying Solomon Isaacs to each other. <laughs> and Martin and I were already fairly, you know, yeah. Tempestuous relationship. Yeah, yeah. So that became the name of the company. He's doing pretty well. He's doing great. Like, yeah, he's doing great. We're still in touch. touch. Oh yeah. That's oh good. yeah. We're That's still good. friends, and he's out in LA now. And yeah, yeah. Being the resident Sherlock Holmes. Ah, very nice. Uh, very nice. I want to go back to Goldilocks for a minute. Uh, <laughs> was there? Um, was were you pushed into that? Oh God, uh, no. Did you stumble into it? It uh, was there something. It was that, the little. You know, it was. A, a uh, uh, Presbyterian, you know, kindergarten, and they always had a little show at the end of the year, and they they had just happened to pick Goldilocks and the Three Bears. In fact, I'm still very dear friends with Chris Thompson, who played my mama bear. Uh -huh. She and I are still friends. But but not every little girl at that church went out for that, right? Uh, I'm not sure I gave anybody much of a choice. Uh -huh. You know, you, I mean, you were gonna I, get. That I'm not. Wrong. I don't know what the audition process was, but <laughs> I think that we came to an understanding, the teacher, Mrs. Hunter, and I, that I was probably the best choice, the most obvious choice. Why? I I don't know, but I had, I loved to sing, I loved to dance, I had no fear of people, I loved strangers. I would go up in the grocery store and say, had, I know a little song and dance routine. You want to hear it? You, you got a minute? Had you seen something that that or someone? When that, I was five, this is after, shortly after that. I saw my Aunt Laura's high school production of Bye Bye Birdie. Okay. And she was one of the kids, you know, yeah. in the chorus. Yeah. And I was transfixed. I mean, just beat on that stage. Mm -hmm. And my I was five, and my mom kept on checking in with me. And then when the show was over and the lights came up, and I was still sitting there, she said, well, come on, get up. It's time to go home. And I looked at her dead in the eye, and I said, that's what I'm going to do someday. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. She was like... Okay, you know, we'll see. Was it? But um, I don't. It, I, it was just immediate. Was it good? By any measurable standard? I don't remember. Yeah. I. It was just. It was colorful, and they were singing and dancing, and they had costumes, and they had petticoats, and you know, it was. 
Everybody Amazing. was looking at them. Uh, yeah. Does that make make a difference? I uh, guess so. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember, you know, before that. I really don't. Yeah. But I know Mom says that I was very vivacious and very gregarious and loved to sing and dance and, you know, loved to wear costumes. And I don't know where it came from. I got, I got into it much later than you, but I'm the same way. I don't remember any part of my life before I was in the theater, really. <laughs> Maybe snippets here or there, mm-hmm. like the Kennedy assassination or something like that. But uh, but but generally speaking, I can't tell you what I did day to day or what I thought or what I wanted to do. Everybody says I wanted to be a policeman or I wanted to be a truck driver. I don't I don't remember anything. I just remember I walked into that room um, and I could smell something in that room that that appealed to me. I don't know if it was the sawdust or the you know grease paint. They talk about the, the mm-hmm. roar of the grease paint and smell mm-hmm. of the crap, you know. But there was something that told me I was home at that point. Um, and, it, and it, yeah. I just, uh, I never had any fear about it or trepidation yeah. or, you know, I mean, I have nerves now. I have, even now I have nerves, but I didn't at first. And I, I, I what really stands out is that, uh, the, of course, there was the usual, you know, the usual cast, you know, the Goldilocks and the Free Bears and, you know. And there was, and this, they sang a song, and the song said, "She ran and she ran and she hopped and she skipped and she ran and she ran and she slid and she slipped and she ran faster, faster, faster till she got home at last." And I pointed out, "Well, if it's the song says, she <laughs> she hopped and she skipped and she fe- fell and she slipped, so we have to choreograph." You got to do that. Uh, yeah. Me falling down, and then I went to my mother and insisted on we go shopping for. Back in those days, little girls often wore little pull-on pants uh-huh. that had rows of ruffles in the back. Right. And I insisted that we find, so that when I slipped down and my dress flew up, I would have on those pretty the little, little ruffle. yeah, ruffled yeah, yeah. underpants sure. because that's fancy. Yeah. And I remember that being really sort of the main <laughs> characteristic of the performance. So that was were, the big moment. You were a costume actor <laughs> even back then. Yes, yes, yes. 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 <laughs> Yeah, you said uh, that you have nerves now. Um, uh, is it about uh, lines? Uh, is it about? Um, it's about that um, feeling the weight and the responsibility of all of that preparation and all of that rehearsal and all of that striving with this great big family and this great big team of you know pulling this monster up you know onto the stage with this rope and then letting then it's opening night and then you got to let go and then you got to just let it then it happens yeah. and it's that feeling of like let please let this go well please let this go well this is what we've all been waiting for this is what we've all been working to, together to accomplish because once something ignites then it's that magic thing it's mm-hmm. that quixotic magic thing that, that just happens in a theater that makes it so much more than just the lines or the words or the music or the costumes or the wonderful performances is that it's that melding of all that whole thing that that catches fire and makes something else happen mm-hmm. and you're just so hopeful that that will happen you know because it doesn't always not always not every night it doesn't night. always seem so yeah. magical even when it when it does happen <laughs> it doesn't happen every night not, ev- uh, not every moment that's right I'm thinking of our, our friend uh, tom stoppard has a more recent play uh, called the hard problem in which he talks about the the idea that um no single cell of a human body no single 
part, uh, limb or organ, has consciousness, right? And yet, when you put them all together, there is consciousness. And how, yes. how the hell Where does that, that happen? Yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, as I listen to you describe mm-hmm. a play, it's it's very much the same way. Mm-hmm. Right? There's something it is. larger than the. Uh, beating yourself over the head trying to get the lines in or learning the blocking or the costume or the choreography none of that stuff is a play uh, all of it is all of it is a play um, indeed indeed you, and any you know actor who's worked for any length of time can tell you that it's so funny to watch young actors or new actors if they're older but inexperienced they're so concerned with the lines. They're so concerned with the lines and learning the lines and memorizing the lines. And, and you reach a certain point in your career when you think, this is the easy part. Yeah. This is the part where someone just literally hands it to you on a piece of paper and says, <laughs> <Do this. laughs> say it this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to get past the memorization technical part and then figure out what is the underlying story. And how do I use this particular set of words in this particular order to mean what I need it to mean? Mm-hmm. And that is really where all the hard work and all of the trial and error and all of the mistakes are made, mm-hmm. is in trying to say, well, I, under- I know the line. <laughs> Whose is it? Right. <laughs> you know, the whole right. joke. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but to, know, to know it, the line and then to figure out how does this one woman tell this one part of the story uh, yeah. is in this. So I spend most of my time, you know, mm. I had an actor just now in the rehearsal who shall remain nameless, who came up to me and said, do you have any, can you give me any tips about, you know, how do you, how, how do you memorize? I know you do these, you know, one woman shows and these huge monsters yeah. with these. And I said, there is no secret. It's repetition, 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 yeah. repetition, repetition, repetition. That's the, yeah. there, there is no trick. Hmm. But I think the trick is, is to take your focus off making learning the lines be so important. Right. Right. You know, if I have anything to teach, it's that. My, as a teacher or a coach, the place where I start is, if you learn one thing from me, if you walk out of my class or or, or training uh, an hour with me, is that, you know, the dialogue is the least important thing that's ever happening on stage, and that you have the ability to make the dialogue mean whatever you want it to mean. And and is that that arrived at upon first reading of the play, or upon uh, discussion with the director or uh, uh, when when do you arrive at what you want it to mean it's somewhere <coughs> along that process you know you have that first think about any play you've ever been that first table read mm-hmm. and what you thought well first of all you you receive a copy of the script and you read it yourself right. and it's very flat on the page yeah. and you're thinking well you know is there more is there <laughs> is that all i do you know is yeah. that you know blah 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 and then i say um, and then you go and have a table read, and then you read it, and then you start going, aha, okay, now there's more to this story. And then just having the actors, having the different faces, you know, helps. But then you find out organically through the process of rehearsal, usually it's three weeks for me, it's the usual rehearsal period. Somehow in that three weeks' time, 
organically, by the time you get that plant on its feet and you get into the space and you get in, all of a sudden everything's happening and it's rushing by you and it's all the props and the costumes and the final dress, it means something completely different by then. Mm -hmm. And that's that organic process as the lines become more submerged and less important and the whole storytelling um, starts to take shape and, and override everything else. The immediacy of that storytelling um, uh, it always turns out to be something completely different, do a different animal. Do you talk with the fellow cast members about that or directors? Oh, about, yeah. As it's happening? Oh, yeah. So Randy and I had lunch yesterday, yeah. you know, and we talked about some things. And we kind of move in and out. You know how how I do digress. Um, so <laughs> I do know that. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that about me. I have, a, you know, I kind of float around and hit lots of different um, subjects. But um through that process, you know, in and out and, and, and everything, when you're in a play, or that's just how it is for me, when I'm in a play, in rehearsal for a play, all of a sudden everything in my life seems to be a coincidence or have some kind of attachment or some kind of illumination on that play. Yeah. Everything they mention on the TV, I can read a newspaper, the book, the book I'm reading will mention the cherry orchard. Yeah. And I'll be, how, did, how does how that, does happen? that happen? Like all yeah. of a sudden you're so... And it's not, I mean, maybe it is merely coincidence, but then how could it, be? maybe you're just more, you know, aware of it or something. But anyway, everything has to do with whatever show I'm in. So right now it's all the cherry orchard. And so Randy and I had lunch yesterday and then you and I don't have lunch. And I asked him yesterday, I said, can we do this once a week? You know, mm -hmm. can I come to you as, as she becomes clearer to me and then I just check in. And then he has a way of just saying, you know, one thing or... Mm -hmm or catching something that I do in rehearsal and just saying, I want to comment on that. Like, I know I could see you were on the right track right then. And that's so helpful, you know, yeah. because then that opens another door and that opens another door, you know. He's uh, very perceptive. He is right? wonderful. Oh, yeah. I can't say enough good things about um, Randy Randolph Curtis Rand, yeah. our illustrious director. Randy and I met uh, in, in New York uh, in a production that Rebecca Holdness, Holdness. was directing. I heard the whole story. You, you did hear the That was one of the first things I asked him. I said, now tell me how you know Jerry. You yeah. know, I've known you for, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 years, something. I mean, I remember when y'all first came. Yeah, that would have been 26 We were all young ago. and yeah. Yeah. beautiful and yeah, I had, and I had hopeful. far fewer gray hairs back yes. then. And, me too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it happens to the best of us. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, so I'm, uh, I'm curious. You've done um, work in film and television mm -hmm. as well. I'm sure other mediums as well. Is, is there a, a difference in your mind between the work that you do in one, one of those mediums and another one, or, or do you, uh, do you find the process essentially the same for each? Uh, each? Oh no, I think they're very different animals, um, and you know how blessed are the ones that you know don't really have to make that choice. Um, I think most of us, at some point, have to make that choice. The choice I made was I just love live theater so much more and find it so much more fulfilling and so much more interesting and entertaining than film. Unfortunately. It's really hard to make a living. Just the finances of theater is yeah. that, you know, you've got to do something else. You've got to, and film work pays very well. Much better than this. And it's just so yeah. tedious. 
And you, you and do, boring. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't have control. You don't either. have. No, you sit in a chair in the same dress for maybe days and days and days, waiting for them to get the setups and for them to yeah. include you in the shot. And then you've got your master, and then you've got your over the shoulder, and then you've got your point of view. And you know, I mean, I have literally gone home from the acting sets and you know where I have worn my own dress and went home and just threw that dress away because mm. I never want to see myself <laughs> in that yellow dress again Interesting. Interesting. Um, so I find it very tedious uh, but I love movies I love watching film and I love yeah. uh, you know what that the dynamics of that and what that technology can do in terms of storytelling but nothing beats being in the room every night you know when they say live theater they mean both sides of footlights. Right. It, it isn't theater unless there's an audience. That's right. That's right. And it's that's that magic thing. That's that spark, that I think is the fodder that makes the fire happen. Yeah. It's like an, an an a combustible situation. What is it that happens? Is is it is it about the the meaning of of each individual play being communicated to that audience? Or is there something more primal than that even, do you think? Well, I, you know, I thought about this a lot. And, you know, everything about us as a family or a tribe or a community, you know, the, the, the image of the, that group of cavemen camped around that campfire, you know, which yeah. is the light and the warmth and the heat and the, you know, place that they make their food and the place that they tell their stories and the place that they celebrate their wins and bereave their losses safety. and all that that's safety yeah there's something very primitive about that yeah. um you know kind of thing but i also just think that um what the other thing that i know about about acting about storytelling is the more specific you can make your choice the more universal it becomes so there's this really subjective understanding that as you're telling the story people out in the audience are going yes yes i know that i know that that's exactly right Yes, mm -hmm. and so if they, yeah. they, they, they're the ones who are like, yeah, she got it right, right, you right. know, because you're because it's their story, and those uh, those decisions are arrived at with the help of the director, mm -hmm. uh, very your, much so, in your very mind. much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and the play, hopefully, you know, the play that you're doing, which has survived because it was that good that it became a classic right. and that it and it, the universal truth is that evident so if you trust that Chekhov in this case or Shakespeare or Stoppard or whoever yeah. you know was on to something yeah. and they had it then you're trying to find that universal truth through your specific choices can you think of one one moment in your career where you made a specific choice that you felt land in the audience to that degree I mean you know, just a single uh, choice. <clears throat> I'm sure there are many to choose from. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of of something like that. Um, all right, so I'm going to think about. So my last play, one of my last roles was Driving Miss Daisy, mm -hmm. and she's on stage the whole time. And there's a lot of technical aspects. And there's a lot of changing clothes and changing wigs, and so you really have to stay focused on where you are in the story and then of course you have Hoke this wonderful character that she shares her life with um, but there will be certain moments when something was happening uh, there's a scene where she's in the car and they're driving to go to visit relatives and she gets 
sidetracked on a story talking about when she, the first time she ever rode a train was with her daddy, mm. and they were going to Memphis. And, and she is overcome with emotion and, and says, I remember st st dipping my fingers in the salty water and putting them in my mouth. Isn't that a funny thing to mm. remember? Mm -hmm. And she, and I just chose to make it, to get tear up, to tear Emotion, up. Yeah. And my father had just died. Mm -hmm. So that gave me that specific way, and other actors may have told that story with a, a very different kind of laugh and a very different kind more of uh, memory. And more just trivial. very, and you know, there's different kinds of forms of nostalgia. Yeah. But that was just the one that was right for me. And, you, and I was very conscious that in that moment afterwards before, and he left a little pause before he said the next line, which was a change mm. of direction about being late or whatever. Yeah. And you could hear a pin drop. Right. Nobody moved. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. And then I, and it, it was just no more than just a little tear, you know, to wipe away. Yeah. And then I'd look at him at the place where we had designated where the rearview mirror was. And then he asked the mistakes the next question. She And then she's just right on him. I mean, you know, she's yeah. very brusque with him and very impatient with him. And, and comes back out of She comes too. right back out of yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. Her memory. Yeah, that's so fantastic. something like that, you yeah. know. But it but it comes to you just in a very organic way, you know. It's not like I sat home planning that in my notebook, thinking, now what could I do here? You know, it's it's not like that. It just is something that happens to you, you know. That you think, oh, of course, this, of course, this is how she, how she would do it. Are there artists that you draw uh, inspiration or energy from? Um, not necessarily ones you've worked with, but uh, maybe. Um. I mean, I, you know, admire the usual suspects. I mean, you know, Meryl's, I'm, I'm very lucky to have had, you know, women like Meryl Streep and Helen Mirren and um, um, a lot of the, uh, I mean, Fiona Shaw and yeah, yeah. some of the lesser known um, British, I'm a kind of a... Judy Dench. Judy Dench, you know. Yeah. So Maggie Smith. I mean, oh these wonderful, yeah. you know, these, you know, wonderful, formidable... Mm -hmm. Uh, talent. So, you know, you just watch and learn and watch and learn. Right. And, show, and, and it's always like the little things, you know, how, how you know, they, they don't, they do so little. But then that's film acting too. So once again, that's a whole different animal. And what would work in a film is not going to work on stage because we have to magnify everything a little bit to fill that space. Simi and I saw uh, Maggie Smith a couple of years ago do a one-woman show and oh. that was almost two hours long. Um, and uh, it, it was uh, at a thousand-seat theater in, in London. And um, it was a, a, a play about, um, I think it was G Gerbel's uh, secretary, um, a woman who had, uh, a Dutch woman, if I remember right, who had been his secretary and had convinced herself throughout her life that that she didn't know what was going on and that sort of oh, thing. Oh, you'll have to look up the name of that play for me. Yeah. I'd be very interested in reading that play. It would be you a know, good one I for would you. like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm always up, up for a one-woman yeah. show. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in, it, one of the things they did was that they had her sitting at the, it was a thrust stage like ours, a deep thrust, and she was back at the very back. There was a little desk there, and she was sitting in a chair beside the desk, and two hours later, she was maybe five feet from us, and very slowly that desk had moved forward uh, imperceptibly, but suddenly you looked up and went, holy shit, she's right there. And it was such a powerful uh, uh, idea given what the subject matter of the play was, but just being in a room with somebody like that 
watching them work, watching the specificity of their choices uh, was one of the one of the pleasures of my of my life as a, mm-hmm. as a viewer of, of art. Yeah. Um, what do you want to do, Linda? What uh, what what do you want to do um, going forward? Uh, well, I'm um, I'm really fairly content with my life, and if I am lucky enough and blessed enough to continue to just uh, be involved in theater and direct, I'd love to direct more than I do now and coach and teach and master class and be involved and every now and then I have a little film role that kind of helps me along financially and yeah. um, um, I'm hoping just to keep doing this as long as they'll let me or as long as my mind holds out and I can remember, remember you know my lines and my strong. stage directions and what about uh, what about roles are there any roles you have oh sure yet? oh sure there's things I have not done Lady Bracknell yet. Ah, okay. I, yeah. There's got to be yeah. one in me. All the battle axes. Um, <laughs> that's my that's you know my niche is queens, bitches, and battle axes. Um, that's kind of where. In that uh, order. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's you know. Yeah. Um, and I um, I haven't done Amanda. Ah. All the Tennessee Williams. Wow. I've done. Really. I've never done Amanda, so I would love, of course, to sink my teeth in that. Um, that seems almost impossible. Well, you know, sh- yeah. and the one that got away, I wanted to do the heiress mm. since mm. I was in grad school. Yeah. You're too young, you're too young, you're too young, too young. All of a sudden, too old, too old, too old. <laughs> like, damn it, the train, you know, I yeah. missed the station. Yeah. Um, so there's the ones that got away, and then the ones that I hope are in my future, um, like that. Um, uh, I've never played Miss Hannity. And Annie. Annie, and I yeah. think that would be a good role for me. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, scare some children. Yeah. Any, I've done um, The Wicked Witch, so. Any Shakespeare you haven't done that you'd like to do? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, there's a lot of Shakespeare that I haven't done that I would like to Have do. Have you ever done any of the male roles? Well, that was what I was just going to say. I was like, I would be very interested in being um, considered for some of the, the male roles. Ariel, you know, a wonderful role. Um, I have played a, a male before uh, in Shakespeare. I've played Gloucester, mm. um, which I found not any different whatsoever. I yeah. just played him as a parent. Yeah, yeah. He's a parent of two children, yeah. you know, just like, and I would play, I played it exactly the same. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I think we're getting way, way, way more closer and more um, inclusive uh, in the theater about right. all of that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Well, I want to see um, I want to see your Prospero. Um, oh, that would be I lovely. See your, see your Lear. Um, That's it's so um, intimidating, you know, just to sit here and think about that and think, oh, what if you know you could be the first female Lear in this area and be like, yeah. talk about you know that those nerves of oh please let this go well please let this go well please <laughs> let this be accepted you know. Well, nobody ever does it around here, I think. So uh, so maybe. Uh, People would have less expectation than, say, Romeo and Juliet, or something that gets done more more regularly. But um, but I think a, a female Lear would be really interesting um, today, uh, especially uh, when when the po- the possibility of a of a woman having control over 
a family to the degree that Lear mm-hmm. does, and then having to let go of that uh, at later in their life, you know, is a is an interesting idea. Does that appeal to you right now? That idea? Oh, sure. Um, what my mind caught in that sequence was that you know talking about the idea of letting go and that that seems to be kind of a theme that I'm exploring right now and um, love uh, who is in the process of having to let go in the cherry orchard orchard, and the baggage and the past and the and her sins and this idea of forgiveness and this idea of losing everything um, and which we all have trouble with. Every human beings, we don't like change. We don't like to let go. We don't like things to, you know. But it's in that letting go that creates that space for the next thing, you know, for the future yeah. to rush in. Yeah. And so Randy and I were talking about this yesterday as we start to kind of shape, like, where are we going with this play? You know, what, what are, where, how, you know, where where are we now and where do we want to go and it's this whole idea of this shedding and this jettisoning and this um what she thinks is so important um being you know that's not what it was at all there are there are productions of of the cherry orchard where the uh, the family seems utterly um unaware of of what's happening to them uh, i think i hear you saying that that's not the take uh, on this this version well what i can discern of uh of her so far you know there's a whole lot of denial going on yeah you know um don't how don't be ridiculous how can you say that what do you mean chop down you know there's all of this sort of deflecting and this denial but that's not the same as oblivious right yeah she also has a very uh strong bent of what i call the scarlet o'hara syndrome which is i'm just gonna think about that tomorrow yeah yeah Yeah. i'm just overwhelmed tonight i can't you know yeah i'm gonna have a little drink go to bed we'll you know so there's a lot of that there's a lot she has a lot of that um distancing um going on and just deciding that she's not going to worry about it because something always happens you yeah. know if you wait long enough something comes along and, and 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 then things change and then you don't have to make a decision because the decision's made for you so there's a lot has. of that well, well at one point she says she says you know maybe we'll think of another plan i don't know i mean maybe maybe the house will fall down around us maybe mm-hmm. you know anything can happen let's just well something does happen you know mm. sooner or later the decision is made and it is out of her hands um so n- this is that old saw that not making a decision is a decision yeah that's how yeah. we all end up in whatever hole we're in you know yeah. and we learn to recognize the shape of that hole but it doesn't mean we still don't fall in it sometimes there's no there's no more timely play is there yeah. well but see that's what makes it a classic that's yeah. why we keep going back and back and back is because you know he was on something yeah and we recognize it when we hear it. We're like, uh-huh, yeah. you know? The interesting thing to me is Randy has made a very interesting decision to perform the play with the local, regional, southern accent. Right. Which gives 
this certain flavor, just this, just the the sound of that dialect and the sound of those words has changes the meaning. And I definitely can hear, you know, my mom and my grandma and you know people from my childhood. This is a play very much about childhood. Yeah. Say certain things that really strongly reference me into how and into the choices that I make these tiny little we're talking about these little specifics that yeah. you make it so specific that it comes universal you know just a certain way of phrasing something or saying something southerners have a very unique sort of backhand way <laughs> with a certain with a compliment or with a criticism yes the whole bless your heart syndrome yep Yep, yep. So that has become very useful. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, uh, and it seems uh, entirely in, in place in uh, Chekhov's um, Tsarist Russia. Uh, it, it feels, in, to me, well, it feels... Well, it's like in, in this part of the, you know, in Raleigh. So there's certain families. Yeah. And we know what those last names are. Yeah. They're out in your lobby. Yeah. And it's not even about the money anymore. It's about the lineage and it's about the land. Yeah. And that's that's a universal truth. You can go anywhere and and, and approval. People too, feel like if it's a certain family and you have a certain, you know, eyes on you and that you uphold, you have a certain reputation, you're yeah. not allowed to act like that. When I was a child, I remember my grandmother saying, You don't know who's watching you. You can't go into a McDonalds and not people not know you're a clerk. Right. First of all, you wear it on your face. Right. I mean, I've had, when I was a child, women would come and say, you must be a Clark. You no. look just like your grandmother Jeanette, or, or something to that effect. And yeah. then I realized, wow, you know, you don't get away with anything in a town that small. Small town, yeah, yeah, yeah. You How know? small was your hometown? Bartow, Florida, at the time that I was a child, was probably, I don't know, four or 5,000 people. Really? Um, and there was very little, I mean, either your people were in the orange groves, or they were in the mines. Hmm. So, what kind of mines? Uh, phosphate. Bartow oh. mined two thirds of the nation's phosphate in the sixties and seventies. Which was it up. for your family? What land? Orange groves, cattle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very Clark's nice. very big. There was five families that settled Fort Blunt, which later became Bartow, and the Clark's oh. were one of those five families. Interesting. I, I did a show in Orlando um, about four or five years ago. Um, very suddenly, I was called very suddenly because somebody had to drop out of a show that I had just done here and uh, and I'd never been down there and I was astonished at the beauty of, of the wildfowl in that area. I don't know if you, mm -hmm. you saw that growing up, but mm -hmm. not nothing like that here at all, it didn't seem to me. Uh, it's uh, Inland is a very different thing than the border of the state, which of course in the 60s with the tourist industry and the beaches and Miami and all that just, you know, blew everything out of the water. Like all of a sudden it was just all about tourism. Yeah. But up until then, especially just slightly inland, it was a very country, very rural, very, yeah. um, we were called crackers. Yeah. You know, the family, the people that settled that land. And they were very pioneer and very basic and very um, down to earth, hardworking, salt of the earth kind of people. But the beauty of that land and that, that that part of the country, um, which was one of the reasons why it was so hard to civilize, you know. Mm. I mean, the further down you go, the swampier and the more pine scrub and the more dangerous and hot and nasty it gets. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But, um, you know, we we made it work for us. Great swaths of the South uh, have have one or more uh, such impediments, and I, I, I think maybe people underestimate when they think of the country, they think of it as being divided into four equal sections, uh, but the Northeast, where the civilized folks live, is much smaller, much more contained, and much easier to, to manipulate, honestly, than, uh, mm-hmm. than when you get down, down to this part of the country. Um, it's more open here, and, and so the people had to be bigger, I think, and, and stronger, maybe. Um, um, Linda, A lot I, of grit. I can't, yeah, that's right, true grit. Um, I, uh, I can't wait to see you in the cherry orchard. Uh, I'm uh, holding back to come and see it till a, till a full run at some point, but, uh, but I will be at, uh, at many of the performances, and I'm uh, looking forward to it, and, and thank you very much for doing this Well, again. I thank you wholeheartedly for this wonderful opportunity, and I'm, sure. it's wonderful to be able to work with you again. It's yeah. been a while, a couple it of years since we've yeah. you know, collaborated on something, so you know, it's, it feels good to be back at Burning Coal and... Um, doing some stuff and we'll, we'll continue this more to come. collaboration we hope that's right okay thank you thank you thank you for listening this burning coal production is sponsored by the classical station listen at 89.7 fm or online at theclassicalstation.org our production of the cherry orchard will run from april 6th through the 23rd For tickets and information, visit us at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.